this thing I'm going to be talking about today is one of those times, I wish it was a Wednesday night and we had 35 minutes, but it's not Wednesday night, it's Tuesday at lunch and we've got about 20 or 23 minutes and so it's a little less time, so I've cut it, but I'm hoping today that what we're going to be thinking about will be a blessing to you. So if you have your Bible, open it, please, to the book of Job. It's interesting. In my own Bible reading, I am currently reading through, in the Old Testament, the book of Job. I'm in Romans in the New Testament, Job in the Old Testament, and just being reminded of all those things that Job went through in his life. You talk about suffering and pain and uh, injustice and confusion and things happening to Job that not only did not make sense to him, but it didn't make sense to his wife, it didn't make sense to his friends, didn't make sense to anybody in the community where Job lived. And we read the story of Job and we can somehow, or at least sometimes, identify and relate to what Job went through, not in the same way, uh, not going through the exact same things that Job went through, but going through some difficulties and Times in our life when we just say, this doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe today you're in a place like that. So hopefully this will be helpful. Now, it's interesting. Yesterday morning, we sent out an email encouraging everybody to come today, told you what the menu was, asking you to invite a friend, and we just send that out every Monday. And in the little part that I wrote, I said, please pray for me because I'm going to spend much of my day on Monday preparing what to talk about on Tuesday. And as, as of now, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. So pray for me. And uh, yesterday, uh, some of you are thinking, I still don't know what I'm going to talk about, but I do. So yesterday, as I was working on this, it was just like God put some things on my heart and in my mind. And so for those of you who might have prayed yesterday that I would know what to talk about today, I want to say thank you because I think God answered that prayer and gave me a message that I'm entitling Four Keys... For any crisis, and on your table today, there are beautiful bookmarks that our team worked on yesterday. I can't take any credit for how good those bookmarks look, but I want you to get one of those and take it home with you. And today, while we're working our way through this little Bible study, you can just use that as somewhat of a guide. Four keys to any crisis, because when we're in a crisis, we need some keys on how to get through it. Now, let me say this. These four keys will not open doors of escape that will, that will get you out of the crisis that you're currently in. Not necessarily. But these four keys will do this. They will open the doors of God's grace, and God's grace will enable you to get through the crisis. I mean, even David had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right, in Psalm 23. Even Jesus had to walk through that valley. And so many times in life, we have to walk through what we're experiencing. We can't just mash a button and be exempted from it. We have to walk through it, but God's grace will help us to do it. And these four keys are essential to getting through whatever challenge that you might be facing in life. Now, you're in Job. Turn to chapter 14. Let's just begin there, because I think this verse is one of the best verses in all the book. Job chapter 14 and verse number one. And notice what it says, Job 14 and verse number one, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And so that means if you were born of a woman, you're going to have trouble in life. Now, if you got here some other way, you may be exempted from that. If a stork just dropped you off on your parents' front porch. But if you were born of a woman, 
Here's what it says. You're a few days and full of trouble. I did a funeral on Saturday, this past Saturday, for a member of our church, 103 years old. Lived a long, great life. But in the grand scheme of billions and trillions of years in eternity, you know, a billion years from now, she'll look back on her life and say, well, that wasn't as long as, as I thought it might be. 103 years is not that long in the grand scheme of things. Now turn back a few pages to chapter 5 in verse 7. We read the same thing a different way. Another great verse in Job. Job chapter 5 and verse 7. Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So just like you bring two pieces of something, metal together or something, and sparks go up, well, here's what it says. Man is born to trouble just like the sparks fly upward. Now, turn back to chapter 1, and this is what I want us to see, because all of us were born of a woman, and uh, all of us are human, and so all of us are going to have trouble. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're righteous or unrighteous, whether you're a good person or not so good of a person. All of us are going to have trouble. And in Job chapter 1 and verse 1, we read about this man named Job, and look how the Bible describes him. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now, the next part of the verse gives us his biography, his, his spiritual biography. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, whoever wrote Job, and we're not sure who wrote it, but whoever wrote Job was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so God was telling the human author what to write about Job. And so God is saying of this man, here's what you need to know about Job. He was blameless, upright, one who feared God and one who shunned evil. Job was a saved man and Job was a good man. And yet, if, as we read, and if we had time today to just read all of chapter number one, all the calamities that came into Job's life, what happened was this. One day, the devil, Satan himself, presented himself before God in heaven. And they got into a conversation. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said back to God, well, Job is faithful to you, and Job uh, obeys you, and Job speaks well of you, and Job serves you, and Job does all these good things. But the only reason he does that is because you've blessed him so much. If you take away Job's blessings, he will curse you to your face. God said back to, Job, to the devil, in essence, you don't know Job as well as I know Job. What I'm going to let you do, I'm going to let you bring some problems into Job's life. But I'm going to put a limit on how much suffering he'll have to endure. You cannot do certain things to him, but I'll let you bring some other problems into his life. And that's really what Job chapter 1 is about. The first thing that Job experienced was the loss of his property. And in Bible times back here, uh, one's wealth was largely determined not just by gold and silver, that would have been part of it, but by how much land you owned, how many animals you owned, because that was your source of income. And in this first chapter, we read that he lost his oxen, his sheep, his camels. He lost his livestock, and he lost all the people who ran those livestock and who oversaw that. They all were killed. They all died. And if that's not bad enough, he lost, he, had, he and his wife had 10 children, 
and they lost all 10 of their children on the same day. And so Job is experiencing just unthinkable difficulty and suffering in his life. And yet we come to verse number 20, and notice what it says. Then Job arose. Now this is after he's lost his children and all the other belongings. He tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. In other words, I didn't have anything when I was born, and I'm not going to have anything when I die. And so I'm ending up like I started out. And then he says this, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What was Job saying? Job was saying all these blessings that I had in my life, all this wealth, all these livestock, all this property, all this income, and most of all, my 10 children, all these blessings, as wonderful as they have been, God gave them to me. And so if God gave them to me, God has the right to take them away. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So the first key to getting through difficulty and sufferings and unthinkable heartache in life is to have a proper perspective. And that's what Job had. He had a proper perspective and he viewed his earthly blessings, first of all, as having come from God, as being temporary. And if God chooses to take them away or allow them to be taken away, he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so one of the things that we need is a proper perspective. Now, his wife, look down in chapter 2 in verse 9, said to him, because by this point, by the time we get to this point in the story, now he's lost his health. And the devil has caused boils to be all over Job's body, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And he's in excruciating pain. And in verse 9, his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Now look at her advice to him. Curse God and die. Now that's not what you need to hear when you're going through a hard time. And yet that's what she told him. And, And it's understandable how she felt that way because these were her children too. I mean, she was in pain. And she really didn't mean that, I don't think. But in her pain and and, and brokenness, this is what she said. But in verse 10, Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so Job was saying back to his wife, he said, Look, your heart is broken. My heart is broken. I don't understand it. You don't understand it. But this thing about cursing God and dying, that's not what we need to do. What we need to do is trust God and live. We can't be the type of people who only accept the good things with grateful hearts. And when something goes wrong, complain and and get mad and quit on God. We can't do that. We can't just accept the good and not accept the adversity. We have to accept both. And so Job had a proper perspective. And that's what we need to be able to see whatever it is that we're going through from God's perspective, from eternity's perspective, and to remind ourselves God is in control. God is sovereign. God does have a purpose. God will see me through. And one day, whatever we go through, we'll look back on it and say, God, Only by your grace and your grace alone could I have come through that. Amen? That's the first key we need is a proper perspective. The second key we need is what I'm calling a fierce faith. A fierce faith. You know, faith is one of those things that we all talk about. And even in pop culture, we hear 
actors and even politicians sometimes talk about faith. And it's almost like to hear some people talk about faith, you don't, you don't know if they know what faith is. Some people, for example, will say this, well, I just trust my faith during hard times. Well, I don't even know what that means. I'll say this to you, I don't trust my faith because sometimes my faith's not very strong. Sometimes my faith wavers. Sometimes my faith is weak. I don't put faith in my faith. I put faith in the God of my faith. Faith requires an object. Some people, you hear them talk about faith, and it's almost like to them, faith is just believing the glass is half full, not half empty. Well, that's a positive attitude. That's, it's better to have a positive attitude than to have a negative attitude. But faith is not just having a positive attitude and saying, you know, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, and, and everything's going to be all right. I heard about a little boy that came home from school one day, and he had done poorly on his math test, and he was all upset about it. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, today at school, I flunked my math test. And his father was one of these positive-thinking type people, and we should all be positive. But his father said, Son, we don't talk like that in this house. There's no negativity allowed in this house. You say that same sentence a different way, positively. He thought about it. He said, Dad, I'm positive I flunked my math test. <laughs> There's no question in my mind. I flunked that test. When I say we need a fierce faith, it is better to be positive than negative. And I think when people say, I trust my faith, I've given the benefit of that. I think they mean they trust God. Not their, I think I know the spirit that they're saying that. But remember, faith needs an object. And if we're going to have a strong, fierce faith, it has to be anchored and rooted in God. Now, turn to chapter number 13. This is one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. Because you talk about a fierce faith. You talk about a faith that defies understanding, a faith in spite of circumstances. This is one of the highest and strongest expressions of faith in all the Bible. Notice what Job said, chapter 13 and verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Say that with me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Say it again by yourself. It's one of the greatest verses that you could ever memorize, that one of the phrases there, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What Job was saying is, I've lost my wealth, I've lost my income, I've lost my property, I've lost my children, and by the time we get to chapter 13, I'll tell you what else he had lost. He had lost his reputation because many of his friends had said to him, Job, the reason that you're in this mess is because you have some hidden sin in your life. And they were talking behind Job's back. And they were saying, I bet Job did this or that. And who knows what was being said about Job. But I'm saying to you, in the community in which Job lived, he had lost his reputation. And people thought, he has got a, he's a sinner and he's getting what he deserves now from God. He lost everything. And he, he says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, Job's saying, as bad as it is, if God chooses to strike me dead, if God sends a, a thunderbolt, a lightning bolt from heaven and hits me and strikes me dead on my way to the ground, I'll still be trusting God. You see, Job had just made his mind up, no matter what happens, no matter what is said, no matter what I'm experiencing, I have no choice but to trust God. Now, remember I said faith needs an object. Our faith has to have an object, not just faith in faith but faith in God. And on your little bookmark today, you see three things, and I wish I could develop this, but we need, first of all, faith in God's presence. Go to chapter 19. We'll just look at this verse. I'm just showing you some of the greatest verses in Job. In the first part of chapter, in chapter 19, verse 25, 
Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. What was he saying? He was saying, even now, I know that God is with me. So faith in God's presence and faith in God's promises. Look at the second half of verse 25. And he shall stand at last on the earth. Job was looking forward to a day when the Messiah, Jesus, he didn't understand that at this time, not all of it, but he knew that that there had been promises made that one day God himself would stand on the earth. And he, he believed that. And in, in times of difficulty, we need faith in God, not only God's presence, but in his promises. And then go to chapter 23. I'll show you another thing we need. We need faith in God's plan. That God's plan is perfect no matter what we're going through. Chapter 23, verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I don't know about you, But in my life, I find great comfort in knowing that God knows the way that I take, even when sometimes I don't know the way that I take, when I can't understand what's going on, when it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm with Job here. He knows the way that I take. The best illustration I saw of this was yesterday. For about 20 years, Carol and Cassie Potts have been my neighbors on the west side of my house. Active members of our church. Carol's a deacon here. Cassie has taught in the children in the nursery, the little kids area for, I think she's told me, 25 years. These are just wonderful Christian people. And about two or three months ago, she went to the doctor and they ran some tests and they said to her, we think you have pancreatic cancer. But we're not sure. We have to run further tests. And so they ran further tests. And they said, well, now we really can't tell. We don't, we don't think you have pancreatic cancer, but you have cancer. And we need to go in and do surgery on this. But the good news is we think whatever this is, we can get it all out. And it'll be a major surgery. And it'll take you a while to get over it. But when you come home from the hospital, you'll be cancer-free. Well, hey, who wouldn't take that deal in a condition like that? So a week ago, week and a half ago, they went to Methodist Hospital to have surgery, for her to have surgery, and I talked to her the night before the operating room, for the operation. She was in perfect peace, and she was ready for this surgery. And they took her in, and they began the surgery, and you know how the doctors do when they begin to make their incisions, and they have their lights, and they have their cameras, and they can see everything that they need to see on the inside even better than they can with these CAT scans and MRI. So they, they got in there and they, what they discovered was the cancer had spread far beyond what the imaging had shown. Maybe it spread after the imaging was taken. I'm not sure about that. But they, the doctor made the decision, there's no way in the world we can get all this out. And so they just sewed her back up. And the doctor went and met with the family and said, listen, we, this is a shock to me. I'd never dreamed that this was going to happen. But this cancer is spread. It's in her liver, in all these different organs. It's just all in, in, in her abdominal cavity. And there's not anything we can do. And, you know, you're her family. And so we think it would be best if she heard this from you, not us. But if you want us to tell her, we'll tell her. And they said, no, we, we want to be the ones to tell her. So she's in recovery out. And in an hour or two, begins to wake up. And just like if you've ever had an operation, when you wake up in recovery, the first thing you think is, well, it's over. And she woke up that way. And she's thinking, they got it done. I'm cancer-free. And her two children came in when she was coherent and said, Cassie, uh, or mom, they said to her mom, they explained what happened. And the cancer's not out. It's worse than they thought. 
And there's not anything the doctors can do. And, and, they, they, and, and, she, and her response to that was, she said, you know, she's telling me this story yesterday. She said, two nights before I went to the hospital for this surgery, I had a dream of Jesus. And in that dream, Jesus was right with me here in, this, in our house before we went to the hospital. And she said, but also in that dream, he was with me in the operating room. And I knew this was God's way of saying to me, I'm with you here, and I will be with you there. And she said to her children, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But this is part of God's plan for my life. She ended up coming home about five or six days after the operation in an ambulance, on hospice, and they've given her a short amount of time to live. She called me last week. I've stayed in touch with them. And she said, John, the hospice people have been out here and doing all that they do, and they've given me all this paperwork to fill out. And she said, they want to know if I need a chaplain, because if I do, they're going to assign me a chaplain. And she said, I appreciate the thought, but she said, at this point in the journey, I don't really want to try to establish a new relationship with a chaplain. She said, I have a question for you. Will you be my chaplain? (laughs) I said, I'll be your chaplain, Cassie, and I'll do anything I can to help you. And so I've talked to her on the phone and uh, went and saw her in her house yesterday. But my point is this. She, she told me yesterday, she's laid her bed. Her, her bed is in the living room of their house. She said, John, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But I believe with all of my heart, this is part of God's plan for my life. And she said, I am ready to go see Jesus Whenever my time comes. Now, you can call that what you want to call it. I call that a fierce faith. Though he slay me, though the surgery did not work, though I'm not coming home to be healed, I'm coming home to get ready to go to heaven. I'm not coming home in a car with my husband. I'm coming home in an ambulance with the paramedics, but I'm coming home with Jesus, and I trust in him. See, that key of fierce faith is not opening a door of escape, but it's opening a door of God's grace, and it's enabling her to get through this. Well, time is up, but as always is the case, I have more to say. And so I'll just let you look at these other verses when you get home. You need a proper perspective, a fierce faith, a healthy spiritual diet, and a faithful God. And one of these days, we may come back and develop keys three and four more fully. Father, today, for whatever people in this room might be going through, give them the grace to face it. Help them to take these four keys and to turn the lock and by so doing to open the doors of your grace for their life so that they can walk through it with faith, with confidence, and with dignity that whatever we face, you're in control and you're always going to bring good out of everything. Is our prayer in Jesus' name and all the people said.